Before we get started with today's podcast, here's a quick reminder. We have a webinar coming up with Dr. Jesus Rosales Ruiz. It's going to be June 2nd, 2019 at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. Jesus will be talking about cues in context, so it's going to fit beautifully with the current conversation on cues that we're having with Sarah Owings. You can go to equosity.com to learn more and to register. As always, we'll be recording the webinar, so if you can't attend the live event, you'll be able to listen to it afterwards. But if you sign up before June 2nd, you'll get the early bird price. Again, to register, go to our website, equosity.com. So now let's get started with today's podcast. Enjoy. Welcome to Equosity, the podcast about all things equine, with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexandra Kurland. I'm the author of Clicker Training for Your Horse and many other books and DVDs on clicker training. And I'm joined by Dominique Day, one of the co-founders of Cavalia. We've come to the last installment of our conversation with Sarah Owings. In the previous episodes, we looked at two different ways of thinking about building cues. In one, the handler works hard to remove any body language hints. And in the other, the handler acknowledges that animals are super observant. So the handler lets the cues evolve out of the shaping process. We ended the previous episode with this statement. Our conversation has brought us to a milestone. We have reached this recognition that our animals are communicating to us and we can allow their behavior to modify ours. So now it's time to see where these two different models for teaching cues take us. When you're coming out of the older models of the command-based training, it takes a while to shift your thinking. So you could be clicking and treating, but still be in that command-based paradigm. Yes. So you've got the procedures, you've got the process. I'm clicking and I'm reinforcing behaviors I like, but you're still in a, in an older mindset. And it's a journey. Mm-hmm. It's a It's a huge journey to get to, you know, this milestone. We certainly have not gotten to a destination. I don't know that there is a destination. <laughs> no, it's really... But we've, but we've gotten to a milestone mm-hmm. where there is this recognition that our animals are communicating to us and that we can allow their behavior to modify ours. And that's the dance of it. And that's where the these cues are evolving out of the shaping process that I start to notice. And then I can stylize. For example, I've taught you when I hold up my hand that you bring your shoulder to my hand. Well, that's very cool. And now I can stylize that lift of the hand and a slight rotation of my body. Oh, look, you just went into a shoulder in bend. That's very cool. And let me enhance that. Let me really stabilize that bit of communication because I really like it. It's clear to you. I think it looks cool. Let's stabilize that. And I can stabilize the, and I need to stabilize the get ready, get set, go. Where is go? 
It seems to me that, you know, and I keep hearing you guys talk about the beginning, how it started and what used to be. But what I feel right now, what we're in right now is really, really about that two-way communication. We keep hearing more and more lectures and, and books about choice, control, startup button, collaborative husbandry, counter conditioning with consent. The, the consent of the animal. I mean, all these, this big movement goes towards two-way communication. It's not just that you're manipulating, coming in with your plan that you're going to impose to the animal. The animal will have a say in everything about the training, the speed, what we're going to do, the kind of behaviors, even the cues we're going to use to signal these behaviors. So more and more, it seems to me like we want the animal to be part of this. Exactly the opposite, Sarah, of what people were saying that uh, behavior analysis was when you, when you suggested this to the school. Right, right. I mean, we've kind of come full circle as that's the answer. That's, and that's what Skinner opened the door for, even though that probably wasn't at all in his framework, right? At the time, he right. was collecting data and I, he was really, I, he was trying, the, the whole reason for the operant chamber was to eliminate cues, right? Eliminate environmental right. cues, eliminate trainer, because a trainer's not to even- control, contro- right, control To control, right, to control as many, right. And so we've kind of evolved sort of past that to say, let's look at that whole picture the whole learn the whole learning context is we're training in a messy world so right. we're not right. in a, in an operant chamber where we can control tightly for all variables and then we can right. just vary this one thing so we're training in a much noisier messier world it's called real life right and so we have to adjust things for that and i'm training my best friend and i want my best friend to to dance with me so and that definitely affects how I see cues and how I see them evolving and developing and and there's there certainly are definitely discrete cues that I have mm-hmm. when I use verbals I tend to talk in full sentences to my horses they seem to have a pretty good idea of what I want them to do I know. I can talk in full sentences with my dogs too. And supposedly that's not supposed to, you're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to be like these one syllable, right. Sit, you know, boop, 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 boop. and I'm always just like, we're having, we're just talking about stuff. And right. I'm sure there half of it is the, the mellow, the, the melody of my voice. And half of it yeah. is what my yeah. face is doing. And half of it is what my toes are doing or whatever. But like I said, I think it's just the takeaway point, though, for me, in case we've just confused everybody who's listening, um, <laughs> is is just be thoughtful in advance. So if you are training for a sport, right, where you right. need a very clean, isolated cue, then plan for that right from the beginning so that you you have a way of getting there that is not going to change the rules so abruptly on your learner that they have to go through extinction or whatever, or you think of it like what you're doing. If your goal is this dance, then you're going to be more uh, uh, relaxed and and observing, and you could put them together. Yes, right, right, because you can. They absolutely go together because in that beginning, tiny little 
kernel of a loop, there will be cues evolving. Yes. And I'm going to think of that loop as a unit. So it's not three separate things, A over here, B in the middle, Mm -hmm. C way over there. It's a connected unit. And as that behavior evolves and as the cues evolve, I can teach a transferred cue concept. Mm -hmm. And so if I want, because I'm doing a particular sport and I need to be able to indicate on a verbal that I want my animal who's at a distance from me to do a particular behavior and the easiest way or the way that the sport requires me to cue it is through a verbal. Well, then verbal verbal cue, that's a concept. And I need early on, I need to introduce my learner to the concept of verbal cues. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So part of the repertoire that I would want to instill in my learner is an understanding of verbal cues. So the first verbal cue that I teach isn't going to be that performance cue that I'm going to be using in the arena. I'm going to teach him a variety of verbal cues for various things so that he understands the concept. So that when I make that transferred cue process so that I can say at a distance tunnel Mm -hmm. or whatever it is, sit, whatever it is, that I have a learner who knows how to solve that puzzle. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because I have deliberately taught the concept of that class of cues. Yes. That type of cues. I love that. And that's really, that's a big part of the puzzle. So if I want verbal cues, then I need to go about a teaching process of teaching verbal cues. Yes. If I want weight shift cues, body language cues, then I need to go through a process of teaching weight shift cues. Right. I'm actually in a phase right now because I'm working with Kay. Yep. And I've worked so hard teaching my dogs the, the, the concept of verbal cues. And I've worked so hard in my old mindset, right, of, of making my body language irrelevant that I am now, uh, with working with Kay, working on learning how to let the cues evolve. Wow. But it's actually, I am actually teaching my dogs that it is now sometimes relevant when I take a little shift of my weight or if I slide my hand in a, to a put my hand in a different position before I bring the food down. That is also a cue. So I'm actually exploring this now. But this is new territory for me because for many years I've had that old that old mindset of like, you know, put the glasses on so the the dogs are not looking at your eyes. Yeah. Um, so, so I just find it, it, it's, it, that's what I'm so excited about. It's a whole new territory for me. Um, and it does feel like dancing and it doesn't, in my old mindset, I used to think that when you did this kind of work, it was prompting too much. You know, it's like taking a step toward a dog. Frequently that is a threat. Right. Most people say, if you don't sit, I'm going to take a step towards you, put pressure on you, and then you're going to sit. And so I've worked so hard. Like when you work with little dogs, you keep your shoulders back so that there's no, you know, it's, and so it's just a really different way of, of coming at it, but from a whole different place, if that makes sense at all. It does make sense. And there's a balance in everything. 
and it, it goes back sort of to the loops back to the beginning of the conversation of mm -hmm. the progressive classroom that you were in where you wanted your learners to be puzzle solvers and to figure things out and we can certainly over hint there are situations where you want your learner to have the pleasure of solving the puzzle themselves mm -hmm. there's nothing like being given a, a logic puzzle that you're struggling a little bit to figure out and somebody comes along and says oh the answer is 12. Oh, you just deprived me of the pleasure of, right. of figuring that out. Right. And I almost had it. If you'd right. just given me another 60 seconds, I would have had it. And I would have had that delightful, wow, satisfaction of I solved the puzzle. And you just took that away from me. So right. we can definitely over prompt, over instruct. We can, uh -huh. you know, it's there's this balance in terms of I'm spoon feeding the answer. Versus, I've set you up in a puzzle box, but it's up to you to find the answer. That's what the rope handling with the horses is all about, is I've created a puzzle for you, a puzzle box. There is absolutely an open door, mm -hmm. but you get to find it. I'm not going to move your body, so I'm not going to push you back because mm -hmm. I want you to back up. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to move your body for you, you have to find the answer. I've given you some hints and I've set it up so that the answer is findable given your repertoire and your, your learning history, mm -hmm. but I'm not gonna give you the final answer. Mm -hmm. It's learning how to do that right. for each individual. And you know that's for me, that's been the fun of working with the goats because they're dog size mm -hmm. rather than horse size. How does this work translate when you scale it down to something that's more dog size? Right. And it's all it's just all so fascinating. It really is. And I think the 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 key in all of it is if you're th thinking about your cues in advance, you're going to be very deliberate. So it's not going to be a pressure prompt. Right. Right. It's going to be a very deliberate like I'm teaching one of my dogs to back up. And so the way I'd, I'm standing in a certain position, I'm facing the way I want him to go. So instead of the old way, the old way I would have stood right in front of him and tried to shape him to back up. And of course, for this particular dog, me standing in front of him is his, it cues his default, which is to stand and wait. Ah. Right? Yes. And so that's going to fight extinction right there if I want him to back. I need to change the conditions in order for him to offer me something different. So I stand next to him at the side and um, I started the behavior using one of Kay's cups with the food on the stick. Yep. Yep. So my shoulders are basically facing the direction I want him to go. And Kay literally said, I want you to point your left toe and take this very balletic, <laughs> it was a very balletic <laughs> step in the direction you want him to go. And he's going to follow the food, right? Because it's, it's sort of sitting in a cup about an inch or two above his nose yes and he will start to shift backwards now that became the cue now i can just i don't even need the cup anymore i just hold my right. hand up like i'm holding a plate like i'm a waiter and i'm holding yep. and i have my shoulders in that position and i take that balletic little step with my toe and he backs straight up yep and this is beautiful so wonderful but in the if i wasn't planning it i might have started by stepping into him 
when he was fresh, like, let's say I set him up with the, me standing in front waiting for him to figure out to back up and he's stuck in the stimulus conditions of stand and wait. Right. He's getting frustrated and I haven't thought this through and then I'm going to step towards him and push him back. That's when you're using your prompts in a way that are going to maybe not work out as cleanly for you in the end. Right. But that's the, that's the difference is, is when you're planning it ahead of time versus when you just kind of push in because the learner failed your test. So that's that's what I'm... But it's so beautiful because the cues are evolving mm-hmm. through the shaping process. And cues and behavior evolve together. So that was another par- point in the presentation that it's not just that cues evolve. Mm-hmm. Your behavior is evolving as well. And so the cues and the behavior evolve everything's evolving as a unit they evolve together but you get to decide you get to decide at what point so there's a get ready get set go Mm -hmm. so if cues are evolving and they are in a sense you're using anticipation so you said you started with the cup now you don't even need the cup you can just gesture with your finger What our animals are really good at is noticing what comes before the thing that comes before the thing that comes before what you're going to do. I mean, that's how we as as trainers become good in our timing. Do we see the thing that happens just before the thing that we want to reinforce? Mm -hmm. Well, if we see what comes before, that's how we get good in our timing because that's what predicts that the moment that you want to click on is about to happen. Yes. So we're all really good at noticing the thing that comes before the thing that comes before the thing that you want. (laughs) And so what our learners are going to do, dog or horse or human, is we're going to start to anticipate. It's like start anticipating the starter's gun. I know that you're about to say go and I'm ready to go. So I'm going to, I'm in my get ready. Then I get set. And then the the starter's pistol goes off and off I go. Well, I don't know that the rules say that I'll get disqualified if I go before. So I'm all ready to go. And I see you start to raise your hand so that the pistol is pointing to the sky. The starter's gun is pointing to the sky. So as your arm goes up, boing, I'm off. Mm -hmm. So I'm going on the get set. Mm-hmm. So it's get ready, get set, go. So I'm starting to go on the get set. Say I'm I'm a rider and, and I think, well, I'd like to my horse to pick up a trot and I'd like this trot to part to be really nice and light. And here I've got these cues that I'm going to present that create a trot to part. And now I, I, instead of having to go into the full cue of, let, let's say I... Um, I close my leg against the horse's side, and I've taught that as a go-forward cue because that would be a very common up-transition cue to use your leg. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my horse starts to notice that. But now I just start to shift my balance in preparation for my leg moving, and my horse notices that, and he picks up a trot. And I say, oh, this is really great. It's so light. Mm-hmm. I love this. And so I allow it. And then the next thing I know is I start to inhale 
and my horse picks up a trot. And I go, <laughs> wow, he's so light. I love this. And then the next thing I know is I'm thinking about, maybe thinking about trotting, and my horse is trotting, and I'm going, no. No, you know, no. I, you know, I was, wait, I was waiting much. for the no. I was waiting for the no. Yeah. Oh, this, no. Is, this is too much. You know, I, I, you know you've got to give me a chance to, to, you know. And so I get to set at what point do I want to stabilize go? Mm. Yeah. And that's an and that's really where That's an art. That's a whole we could have a whole other talk just about that. That's an art unto itself. That's right. That's right. But that's really where you know when for example, if I'm training a horse for somebody else, I'm very aware of where I set the go because do I make the horse light for what I enjoy? Mm-hmm. But that might be way too much for a new learner who's mm-hmm. going to get overwhelmed by how fast that horse is responding. Mm-hmm. So I'll set the go at a point where there's a, a, for example, if you're sliding down a lead rope, where you actually get to slide down to the snap before the horse is going, because anything lighter than that is going to be overwhelming to the handler. Mm-hmm. So I need to know what is going to match the this team. And then for the competition aspect of it, what do I want in terms of get ready, get set, go, so that I have that tight stimulus control that you're looking for in the obedience ring. But it's all part of the conversation, and it's all part of the cues evolve. Cues evolve with their behavior. And they evolve as a conversation. So what will be really neat is to come back in six months or so and have this conversation again Mm -hmm. and ask you, so what have you been exploring when you went back from go to people for opinions and dogs for answers, when you went back to your dogs and asked them what they are thinking of all of this bizarre horse training? (laughs) I will. I will. So we'll have we'll we'll definitely we'll definitely have to have this conversation again. But I think at this point we've probably talked long enough. Mm-hmm. And though I hate to say that because I think we could probably talk for another two hours. <laughs> probably. Easily. Probably, probably so. so. It's so delightful. I think, is, I think this is probably a good a good place to close. So yes. we will thank you immensely, immensely. Yeah, this oh. was a great conversation. Thank you. Really enjoyed it. Me too. I've, and... I've been dying to do this ever since I saw your talk because so I'm I'm just sitting here in in that euphoric brain thing that happens. <laughs> so I'm very, very happy. Thank you. Very neat. Well, we will say goodbye for now. Okay. And we will meet up again and have a further conversation down the road. So All right. thank you much. Sounds right. good. All right. Bye-bye. Stop the music. We're not done yet, so don't go away. We turned off our mics and stopped recording our separate tracks, but I never stopped the Zoom recording, which is our backup in case there's a technical glitch elsewhere. This is just like what happens late at night at the Clicker Expo when the faculty get together to talk shop. At midnight, just when you think the conversation has finally rolled to a close and it's safe to go to bed. Someone will ask a new question and 
we start all over again and we're usually there for at least another hour if not two. In our case, the conversation just goes on for a few more minutes, but there were some important points that are worth sharing. Because all we had was our backup recording, the audio will sound a little different, but don't let that throw you. It's very much worth eavesdropping in on the rest of the conversation. I'll push the record stop, right? Yeah, you can do that. Now you can't say anything more interesting things now. Well, I haven't stopped the Zoom recording. So is there any other gems that now that we're not recording that... <laughs> do we feel complete? It's not 2 a.m. yet, so there's... I know, I know. Well, I think the the issue of, of how to teach for stimulus control, I don't think we even got there. So, I mean, we could do that yeah. somewhere, somewhere else down yeah. the line because it's really, I think, really telling how often, you know, we kept trying to talk about cues, but we kept really talking about shaping mm -hmm. over and over. Every time we're like, let's think about, no, let's, no, it's really about shaping. And, and then that was really telling in terms of exactly where we should be focused, right? Right. Um, so that was, but I think the, that piece of getting the learner, I love the way you put it, stabilizing the actual go, st just making that more stable. Yeah. Again, that's different than control, mm. right? That's stabilizing it or clearing the, making the communication clear or, uh, you know, there's different ways to think about it rather than it's the animal is now on control, you know? Right. right. So that would be something in terms of a gem to unlock another time, we could certainly. Yeah, and it, it's probably related to performance cues. But there's, yes. but, but even when you stabilize it, you can then let it shift as you need or as your skills develop, you can let it change. But there is a point where you get to say, you know, you have to wait for me to do more than just think about it. And the other thing we didn't talk about is what happens when your plan falls apart and the animal doesn't understand the stimulus. You know, when you think the cue's clear, but mm -mm, the animal's not getting it. Well, then you right. go back and you reteach. Yep. Right, but if you know what cues were part of the conditions for the original learning, if you're really aware of those, you can just right. set that back, set that right. right back up again, right. and then it comes back. If you're not aware of those, you might be asking your learner to start over right. again. And we also we also didn't talk about starting with base positions so that it makes it easier for you to spot oh. the cues. Oh my goodness, that was the other thing. You start with grown-ups, right? Yeah, yeah. I I add grown-ups later. Yeah, grown, right. Grown-ups is one of my core foundation behaviors. I mean, I still, I still, it's still a core for me as well. I, I right. consider it a, a key piece of stimulus control. But in the shaping process, I don't start there and shape out of it. I start with a, a, a setup where there's a lot of offering, and right. then bring, and then I bring in the conditions that the of stim of of grown. I'll call it grown-ups because that translates into that picture do you see right. it but it's the, other, right. it's the other way around but for us i think it's a question of security because of safety yeah. i should say yeah. because with a big animal like that if they start offering behavior and you don't have the grown-ups 
it's kind of not very comfortable for the handler. Right. Yeah, and, it, and it's a big difference. It was something that, again, one of these uh, differences with some of the things that Karen was teaching, because she would say, you want to teach movement, that yeah. standing still isn't a behavior. Of course it's a behavior. <laughs> but standing still on balance, yeah. Yeah, well, standing uh, near near standing, a pouch full of treats. Right, standing still is is a behavior. You know, it's it's uh, that wonderful we'll call it the dead dog rule. That yes, yeah. So a dead dog can't stand <laughs> right. with his head between his shoulders, right, or any other way, unless he's unless you've propped him up against a fence. Yeah, that's a awful image because grown-ups is both <laughs> behavior and stimulus control all in a little nutshell yeah yes so, but so what i worry about is the frozen learner syndrome mm -hmm. of, mm -hmm. of if you over reinforced grown-ups mm -hmm. and it's on the cue of of a trainer standing there with food and and that cues grown-ups all the time then when you do want other things, I mean, if you're not going to use a target or something to prompt it, you Just know, how your that's, body. Your body. it's so important to understand, yeah, to, to know how to teach, to balance it. Right. That's but then grownups is, grownups becomes the functional ground time. So you start to ask a whole series of questions of, will you continue to stand there while I take a step to the left or right or away while I run my hand on your mane, while I brush your shoulder? Because eventually we want the horse to be able to stand, it's called ground time, but to just stand there while we go off and get our saddle, bridle, brushes, whatever. And so I need to be able to move around my horse mm -hmm. and keep that stationary position. But then when I'm ready for my horse to walk off with me, that he walks off with me. So that teaching behaviors in pairs is such a useful way to begin. And that training mantra of for every behavior you teach, there is an opposite behavior you must teach to keep things in balance. For example, if you teach a, a horse to, and I saw this happen early on, it's always, you know, there's always, there's usually some horse that comes to mind when you say these things. But I had a client who had a quarter horse mare who a dealer had given to her because... Not a good sign. <laughs> well, and she knew in advance, he could not get this he she she spun she reared she bucked she bit she did everything <laughs> okay. um and sandy took her on but she taught the standing on a mat and she stayed too long with this horse standing on the mat so that when she asked nikita to leave the mat nikita would pin her ears and snake out at her in this don't ask me to leave this is where all the goodies come from Mm -hmm. And she'd just gotten it out of balance. She, you know, it was fixable. It was resolvable. But it was such a clear example of you've got to ask them to walk off the mat. If you stay too long on the mat, you'll get to the point where you can't leave the mat. So this right. whole teaching things in pairs is part of how the horses learn the cues. And you start off with things that are very black and white asking for forward and then asking for back up, the body position is so very different that it's easy for them to spot, oh, well, when you turn this way, you want me to back up. When you turn this way, you want me to go forward. So it's easy for them as a new learner 
to figure out that that's relevant information. And then you can make it more and more and more subtle. So that unless you've got a really trained eye, you're not going to spot what the cues are. Unless, you, mm-hmm. unless you're really tuned into the system, you're not going right. to spot it because it's so subtle. Mm. And, the, and the question is, are you, the handler, aware of the subtlety and able to use it, more power to you, literally, or is it the horse, in spite of having a confusing human, has had to figure out what's relevant? It's that right. whole why fight it. Yeah. So, and with the, the dog version, I teach a lot of labs at Expo, so I meet right. a lot of dogs. I am starting to see a trend. A few years ago, the trend was dogs that offered too many behaviors. So if the trainer the stood there, thing. the Rolodex thing. And we, yep. that's how I, we used to have that issue most often. Now I'm seeing the opposite again. I'm seeing frozen learners fro- that are not. That's interesting. We should talk about that in a podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I feel like we're, we're, we keep going out of balance, like as a, at least the dog training community, I think we're back. So are these new to clicker training frozen learners or are they dogs that have been clicker training for a while? Um, these would be n- newer. I mean, I tend to, the labs that I teach tend to draw newer people. Okay. So, cause I teach the foundation right. queuing lab. Basically, first thing we do is we, we study the cues that they have already. And I'll have them pick a cue that they already know. And then they have a group and they all watch for other things that the dog may be cueing off of. And then we kind of just, we actually, we ask the learner, what is the most salient part of the cue? Right. And then I'll ask, how was that trained? And most often these days, people are back to luring. So most people will say it was lured. And okay. that's usually fine. And then it, we, and I never, it's not a criticism. It's just, right, right. Say, that's very clear that you have made that lure into a very clear cue and that's working perfectly for your learner because it's not confusing or vice versa. But then I do an exercise where I just have them shape the simplest thing I can think of, which is for the dog to go touch their nose to a a water bottle. Okay. A a target, just a target. Right. And I cannot tell you these days, the last few years of dogs that just sit there and they won't move. They won't interact. They only will just sit there waiting to be prompted. Mm-hmm. That was fairly, um, that was, I, I would have said that was very common in the early stretches of when I first started looking at the dog training and the canine clicker training that you got, a, what you got it were a lot of dogs coming into the clicker training world who'd been taught to make eye contact. And they, they were to just stare at you until you told them to go do something. And the offering of, oh, to get, to get the dog to offer behavior was really hard because yeah. what they painful. had learned was, yeah, really painful. It's just look at the, at the human. Um, right. And that was also in the age where, they were, where the people were regurgitating food at their dogs, which I was insulted. <laughs> Sorry, that's just funny. But yes, yeah. it was what do you mean, Alex? Would you give they take food from their mouth? Yeah, they, yeah. And now sometimes they'll spit it at the dog. <laughs> the, so the dog will focus on their face. 
Yep. Because <laughs> that's where the reinforcers, because it's all about where the reinforcer is coming from, right? It's not about yeah. the not really. And, and so one of the things that I see a lot with the dogs that it, it's not, it's not something that I've really, it's not a look that I am drawn to is mm-hmm. there's too much fixation on watching the food that they really seem to track the pouch, the handler's hand going into the pouch, et cetera. They don't have that separation from the food pouch. And with the horses, it's so very different because we work really hard in the beginning to say, you know, go, go forth and behave. And when we click, the food's going to come. You don't have to watch it. It's not going to, it's not going to escape. It's not going to run away. So you don't have to watch it constantly. And, and that seems to be a much more characteristic of a lot of the dog training that you can see that I've got to keep track of where the food is. Well, it's, that's a, that's a byproduct of poor mechanical skills. Yes. I don't, I don't like that. Um, because most of these poor dogs really don't know where the reinforcers are going to go. <laughs> yeah. No, I they, agree with you. Like, I, I agree. Like, with you. I, I have to watch you because you're, you, sometimes you just throw it and sometimes you yep. shove it in your face and sometimes. Yep. So that's definitely. A, a yep. I, 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 you will get no argument from me there. And then, and then the other byproduct is just doing a lot of luring. So the most salient cue, the first salient cue is a piece of food. Yep. So if that's the dog's whole repertoire, like I yep. said, my dogs, my dogs and I are learning luring now. Yes. And it's really hard for me to do it, but I'm learned, Kay is being very patient with me <laughs> and I'm learning to do it properly. But it's a, it's a whole new skill for, for my dogs to pay attention to the food because they don't. Right. So um, anyway, but, but I was just thinking about balance. I was thinking now what I do is I look at the learner I have and I say, what, what are you likely to be out of balance mm-hmm. for? So like I said, my two, my two dogs, uh, the one that used to just go lay down, yep. she was very out of balance in not offering behavior. So she, yes. she was not she wasn't brave when I first got her. She wouldn't try anything. And so for her, it was like, all I wanted to do is reinforce movement. And I set up this, once I got over the 101 things to do with the box, which was stupid, I just taught her to interact with things that anything I put in front of you, you're going to be clicked for pushing a ball or very simple interactions. And I focused heavily on that skill for her. But my, but my new dog, he came to me with so much movement. He was never still, never. And I thought, if I start just clicking you from moving and offer, you're going to be really out of balance. So for him, I started with basically my version of grownups. And that's what, that was his first, his first lesson was this is what training is about, is just standing calmly and yep. taking a breath and just knowing how the food is coming. <laughs> and not worrying about the food. Uh, that was his first lesson, but it was a, it was a balancing, you know, it was like balancing based on the learner. Yes. What you emphasize in terms of, so I don't know, I've been trying to yeah. teach people that is like, and, and they'll always tell you, back and forth. I would try yeah. both the, the waiting and the offering. Our learners will always, always, always tell us what they need to work on. Always. Yes. That's the beauty of it. You know, all you have to do is ask them, you know, what are you struggling with? What do you need to learn more about? And like you say, if you don't ask them, 
they will let you know. That's right. That's right. Yeah, they, will, they will. They will. So this is one. So those are some things. I don't know. Someday we'll put them in the the uh, a future podcast. Yep. Yeah. When you, come, when you come back in six months to let us know how this uh, Alexis presentation impacted your training. You'll have yeah. to, yeah, you'll, you'll have to, so feel free to send me an email that says, I'm ready for part two of the podcast. You know, okay. I've been experimenting and I'm ready. I'm eager to continue the conversation. This is what the dogs have been showing me. Okay. You know, don't, don't wait for an invitation. Truly, do not wait for an invitation. Just send, send up a flare that says, I think I'm ready to have another conversation. And we'll either indulge in a conversation privately or we'll indulge in a conversation that's being recorded or both okay. and just see where it takes us. It, with all of us, you know, we're training the different species. Mm -hmm. Then we're training for different <clears throat> activities, but also we're coming into it at different times. So... You know, I've been at this longer than a lot of the other members of the Clicker Expo faculty. And having that history of actually having watched Gary Wilkes with Megan and hearing some of how it was taught in the early stages and what it looked like and so, and so on, I think is really interesting. And, and when you step into it at different times, how that influences and impacts the training choices that you make. Well, you know, it's funny because when I was listening to Sarah and I've entered around 2000, 2000, and you and I met in 2011, and I had the same journey where for many years, my focus was on consequence. Yep. And now it seems that, and I, I know my focus was there because the community was there. Yes. And now it seems that everyone's moving towards the other part, which we've been kind of ignoring in this, which is so important, which is the antecedent part. Yes. Mm -hmm. And exactly. eventually we'll, we'll figure out that it's all a unit. All one unit. All. I think, I think that's the next. All. I think well, that's the next the, thing. The next, yeah, the next thing is behavior is no function. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Behavior oh, has no function and reinforcement has no value. No value. Oh, <laughs> oh, that's that so one. zen. That is so zen. It's I know. Like, and it's all about love. It's all about love. <laughs> all you need is love. All right. I have to go, guys. Uh, I bet you. Yeah. It's been a joy. Yeah, it's been it's an absolute been joy. Thank okay. you, guys. I'm going to okay. end the meeting. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. Now we can play the music. We really did turn off the recording, so that's the end. Next time we'll be starting a new unit. And if you are wondering about the last couple of cryptic comments, you'll just have to join us for one of our webinars with Dr. Jesus Rosales-Ruiz to get the explanation. Our next webinar with Jesus is on June 2nd, 2019 at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. The topic is going to be cues in context. You can go to equiosity.com to register. And for now, we'll just say, have fun with your training, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>